Rolling for Change, a podcast that will finally answer the question, is tabletop gaming good for you? We think it is, and we want you to join us in our discussion about the therapeutic, educational, and social benefits of one of our favorite hobbies. My name is Woody Harris. I'm a licensed therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm joined by my friends and fellow co-hosts, Brian Peace and Josue Cardona. Today, you'll be hearing the three of us discuss the journey that we plan to take as we launch this podcast. Uh, This is episode zero, which means that it's primarily meant to help you listeners understand what this podcast is all about, but it's also about helping us as a group to map some of the future territories that we're hoping to explore. We want to thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your feedback. Uh, Details will be at the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Woody Harris. I am a licensed professional counselor in Atlanta, Georgia, and I've been a board game enthusiast since I was probably about six, seven, or eight. I have with me my friend Brian Peace, and I'll let Brian introduce himself. Hi, I'm Brian Peace. I am an English and Social Studies teacher, um, Bachelor of Science from Kennesaw, Kennesaw State University, and I've experienced the uh, the edu- a very Great veg- educational benefits of um, board gaming, card gaming, role playing games, and that sort of thing a, a great deal over the years. And we also have uh, Josue Cardona with us, and I'll let him introduce himself. Hey everyone, my name is Josue Cardona. I'm also a therapist, and gaming has always been a big part of my life as well. And in later years, it's been much more about video games than board games for me. But gaming has always been a, a huge part of of my life and especially my my family life. It was it was really important in my family, and I hope maybe we can talk about that. And maybe um, touch on some origin stories. And in recent years, thanks to Woody, I've I've been introduced or I've been able to expand my scope of uh, tabletop gaming a lot, and it's been great. And it's been kind of an invaluable part of my professional career as a therapist and as an educator and i can't wait to to talk about that with you guys and and see where this goes absolutely i'm really excited about this and i hope that uh we will gather a crowd around us who who will be interested in in talking about the uh, therapeutic value of board gaming let's uh, I, i feel like let's jump in and first talk about what it is that we are hoping to do i'll i'll present what my vision of the whole thing is and then I'll let you guys, uh, we'll sort of cross-examine one another. Uh, so for the listener, we are just getting together for our first time. So you're kind of seeing an organic picture of what we are trying to do. I've been a board gamer most of my life, but it's only been in the past two to three years that I have discovered sort of a, an underground cadre of gaming folk. And as a result, I got introduced to a lot of much more complex games with much more complex mechanics. And I, on one particular outing, in fact, I think it was one of my first outings into this world, um, I played uh, some really complex games. And some of those games were really brain-burnery. They, they made my head swell, and they made me wonder about, you know, uh, why are people enjoying this and what is going on? I didn't understand it all. I was um, completely blown away by the amount of stress I was feeling from the game itself even though I enjoyed it quite a lot and I enjoyed the people I met, I had to have a sort of like heart-to-heart talk with myself about what it was that was really bothering me, what was having an effect on me. And I came to realize that it was just, there were some things that the game was telling me about myself that I was not previously aware of. So it became that the, the game had a really reflective quality to it. It was giving me back something about myself that I had, I had not been ready to receive. And as a result, I was feeling pretty frustrated and worried about myself as a person for whatever reason you know and these are board games we're supposed to be having fun but uh so after that i started to look at well you know so if i'm having these challenges and if i'm having these experiences are other people having these experiences too 
Now, I've, I've questioned and talked to people along the way. I've certainly talked to Brian some about it, and I've talked to you about it some uh, host way as well. But I haven't really had the conversation I want to have yet, and that's where the podcast comes in. The podcast, to me, is all about trying to identify the elements that make a game therapeutic or educational and, and what it is about the game that does that, and also sort of looking at it from an experiential point of view to try to determine whether or not the things that I believe, my singular individual self, are true for other people, so that it's more scientific and it's more like we're getting a clear picture. What do you think, Josue? What is what is your vision for this? I, I know that I brought you into this, and it, it's kind of a, a random thing right now. It's probably our first time really exploring it a lot, but what were your thoughts going into this situation? Well, so we have actually um, had some conversations right on on another podcast uh called geek therapy where uh, we did actually talk about tabletop gaming and we've kind of explored it but we haven't gotten into specific games and over on geek therapy what i like to do is look at the therapeutic aspects and educational aspects of a lot of different things um that kind of are are essential to geek culture and here i think we're just going to go specifically into Again, very specific themes and very specific games. Something that, I mean, there's just so much potential there because every single, I think, you know, some games have way more potential than others. And to be able to talk about that and help people see games from a completely different point of view, um, help families and professionals uh, look at a game differently or maybe help them identify something that they've experienced before but they couldn't put a name to it they couldn't exactly maybe they didn't understand why it was valuable or why people came you know came away changed and i think that there's also an opportunity to help people get to that point that maybe you've never that maybe have never been able to, to do that and so I'm, I'm looking forward to just kind of some really deep discussions um about kind of those feelings and and those insights that we can get from playing different tabletop games. And and I'll, I'll throw the same question to you, Brian. What what do you feel like? You're, you're kind of coming to this from a... Josue and I are both therapists. We're both uh, majoring in psychology, so we have a, maybe a different point of view, although education is certainly on the sociology side of psychology. But what is your vision for what we're going to do here as a team? Well, um... I don't know. I, I know you don't. I don't know about Josue. Josue, do you have any children? I do not. Okay. I have four. <laughs> and a lot of what I, I grew up on board games, role playing games, video games, all that sort of thing. And I went back and started playing a lot of the board games from my childhood with my children. And it really kind of, you know, along with going to, to school for education, and teaching all these years, and it's just kind of become interesting to watch my children go through the learning process, you know, going back and playing games like um, Candyland that I'd always kind of dumped on a bit, and then realizing, actually, this was very beneficial to teach my son and my daughter growing up how to take turns, mm-hmm. how to be gracious whenever you lose, um, teaching them about colors mm-hmm. and teaching me how to be crafty and stacking the deck so the game doesn't take half a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, parents out there will know what I'm talking about. Um, but then there were games like Hi-Ho Cherio that I just mind-bogglingly annoying to an adult because there are no meaningful decisions. And then you realize those games aren't about meaningful decisions. They're about teaching someone, okay, you've got to remove three remove three how many do you have left yeah, okay so it's do i have more than you so now you're teaching them about greater than less than you have more cherries than me left i have fewer which means if i get all mine off first i win the game so i have fewer cherries left on the tree than you i have more in my bucket therefore i'm winning and it's teaching them how to deal with oh well i got the last cherry off i win the game oh don't cry because you know if you cry we don't play the game anymore you know and the game's supposed to be fun, you know? So then going in with that, watching them evolve into playing bigger and <clears throat> better games, 
um, where they actually have to make decisions and saying, well, Daddy, what should I do? I said, well, I don't know. What do you think you should do? And teaching more by asking questions and let, what, making them make their own decisions. Um, and then getting into middle and high school age where um, three of my children have already graduated from high school and one's just getting, getting ready to start high school. But you know, watching them go through that evolution of going from playing things like that to playing Transamerica to playing um, games like Ticket to Ride that are what we would consider to be gateway games all the way to my son. His, whenever he was 15, the very first game he ever actually chose for himself to purchase was Agricola. And if you, if any of you out there know Agricola, that's a rather brain burning game. We went to, uh, he went to a game sh game shop, read the back of it, and thought, Can subsistence farming, that sounds fun, <laughs> <laughs> and the box is really heavy. That'll be cool. And to this day, it's still a game that he'll break out every so often because he likes it. And Cards Against Humanity because he is nineteen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. I have kind of a vision of how this is going to... Well, I have a vision of this as a scientific exploration for the three of us. And we'll also, for those, uh, you know, for the audience, I want you to know that we'll also bring guests on. And those guests will be either people that we know that are kind of man-on-the-street kind of position where it's, it's a situation where we're all speaking from kind of a professional point of view. We're using games. Uh, I use games sometimes in therapy. I think Josue does as well, and I know Brian uses games in the classroom. So, And we're all bringing a particular academic point of view, and I want there to be somebody here that will be outside of that mix who can ask the, the basic questions that we might miss because we're kind of highfalutin, sticking in the clouds kind of thing. So one of the visions I have, and, and one of the things, one of the questions I'm asking as I develop this podcast is, how do we break down the, the individual elements that make a game therapeutic? And I have my own kind of model that I see where uh, we can understand a game from that point of view. And that is that uh, games can serve four purposes in this way. The, f the first way they can serve them and, and you guys, I want you guys to break in and let me know what your thoughts are. But the, the first way they can serve them is sort of from a sociological point of view. Games are about interacting with people, especially, you know, tabletop gaming. It's about interacting with people, and it's about making a lot of... It's, there's a lot of social dynamics that are going on in the midst of those. The second piece is that games can teach us about... Well, the mechanics themselves in games can teach us about ourselves, so the game can be reflective. If we look at our experience of the game and what the experience of the game brings us, and it, it, it brings us some information about ourselves that was previously not available, and we call it reflective because that, that stuff is already being projected from us. It's just being reflected in the mirror of the game. And so there's that level. Uh, there is an experiential level, which I've talked about before, that, that is things like... Uh, Freedom, the Underground Railroad, which has to do with uh, dealing with dealing with the the, the Underground Railroad during uh, Civil War period, and you know trying to get slaves into safe places. So that's an experiential side, and then the fourth side was the educational side, which is games can teach us something that is external from us. They can teach us something new. We can uh, gain some new knowledge like Brian was talking about with Hi-Ho Cherio, it, it, you know, there's some knowledge about, you're learning about less than and greater than, you're learning about all these different dynamics and those don't seem like as big a deal to us now, but I know from my childhood that I enjoyed those games and so they serve a purpose for us, so they are all educational. And those are my four ways of seeing what tabletop gaming is doing for us as a whole and I have the feeling there are a lot more answers out there, thus the podcast, but uh, I, I'm open to hearing what you guys believe and, and how that fits with you guys. One of my favorite things watching watching my children grow and watching any of my students you know grow into playing these games is a lot of um, a lot of the teenagers I've worked with have a problem transferring their logical knowledge out into the real world. So if you say you know you need to go and get an oil change they say well I don't know how to do that. Well you drive around and you look at places that give oil changes, you find a place that 
that you know has decent prices or you look it up on the web you do research and then you know, find out where, where 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 you can get a good oil change from you take your car and you tell them i need an oil change they do it you give them money and everybody's happy a board i've, I've seen students get into board games the same way they'll say well i don't know what i have to do to win well, you can look at the rules. You can look at what everyone else is doing and try to either do what they're doing or do something different from what they're doing to try to get points in an area that they're not looking at. And a lot of times you have to really just play through the game once to figure it out. And once you get internalized idea of how the rules function, then you'll be able to figure out how to do better next time. And I've, I've had a lot of people who've come out of playing games, especially younger people, come out of a game saying, that game sucked because I couldn't figure out how to win. I said, well, do you know how you were you messed up this time? Well, yeah, I didn't do this, 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 and this. Like, well, you've learned something then. Next time you play the game, don't do that or do the thing that you didn't do this time. And it's a whole matter of um, cognitively working through um, some constructive problem-solving skills that a lot of people lack and it's very difficult to teach teach children how to have those constructive thinking skills without it being an instructional thing you put them into a game where they have to you know they're competing against people and they have to figure out how to achieve any kind of points in this game and it gives them kind of a, a structured way of learning how to how to think through these problems so it, it it does what I was saying. Then basically, it, it's it's bringing them new knowledge and and even their experience of it and coming away from it with a, a feeling of like I haven't made it. I don't understand it. Means that they can go back to it again and grab new knowledge from from the situation. Right. Because um, in games like what you were saying, Freedom of the Underground Railroad, Founding Fathers, it can literally teach you something about history. Mm -hmm. But even in a game like Agricola, where you're really not going to learn anything honest about subsistence farming you're learning how to make this action go to that action to get this resource to do that to build this to get points and it's trying to figure out how these things have a logical flow just like whenever you have a paper assigned to you and you have to write the paper which first you have to go do research well how do you figure out what to research you figure out what how to come up with the research you get the research you read them you pull information out of it then you write the paper then you figure out how to how to streamline that paper into something that's serviceable, and then now how do I edit that paper to make it right, to make it come out at the end? And if they lack those critical thinking skills, it's just going to be, I've got to write a paper. I'm just going to ramble out all the information I have on it and hope that it's good. Right. You know, you, if, if, they, if they don't have that basis of how to critically work their way through a problem, then it's going to be... a like some of the papers that I've graded in the past. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be, give you a lot of structure as you learn to play the game. And learning to play the game, putting the rules together, is kind of the same as the kind of structure that you're looking for when you're when you're doing some of these more formal tasks, like you're writing or, or you're right. working on a, a school paper or something of that nature. There, there's so many different types of games, so there's potential to to learn a lot, to teach a lot, right? I think it's important to make a distinction, right? We might um, intentionally bring up a game so that we can bring up certain ideas or even maybe in some cases even assess, right, like where someone is at. But at the same time, there's this other thing that happens that that is completely out of our control. And like Woody's example earlier, you know, you played this game and all of a sudden you you kind of started learning things about yourself that we're kind of maybe independent from the game, the creators of the game, that wasn't their intention, the people who brought it up for you to play, that wasn't their intention, but you came away with something from that experience. And it's great that we have so many different types of games that can that we can use intentionally for some of these purposes, and then there's all this other stuff that can come up that depends a lot on who's in the room at the time, where the person is at that moment, and, you know, of course, the game itself. Thankfully, there are games that are really, really, really simple and games that are very, very complex and games that have you doing all sorts of stuff. And I think that that's, what, that's why if we are able to kind of play the games and just talk specifically about, you know, just a couple of them and kind of either what they have in common or, or what came up for us or the different people in the room, I think it'll really show kind of like the power of games that 
I don't think that, especially the general public doesn't really understand, and that maybe even people who, who do consider themselves gamers and, and play games all the time may not be aware of. Also, in the social side of things, I mean, there are a lot of people who come to our, our gaming groups, Woody's experienced this as well, who come into them specifically because they have trouble socializing with people, and it provides a framework. You, you don't just have to sit in a room and stare at people and try to entertain them with with your words, entertain them with your wittiness. Mm -hmm. You can just play a game, and if you have something interesting to say, then you socialize with people, and if you... You know, run out of things to say. Hey, there's no problem. There's a framework. We're just playing a game here. Right. And, you know, you don't have to be on all the time. You don't have to be entertaining all the time, unless you're me, in which case I'm always trying to be on. And it's really frustrating and, and tiring and f probably for everyone else too, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I've, especially you, you see the, the social dynamics that, are, that play out in a variety of different styles of games, like, you know, a competitive game. You'll see people kind of taking digs at each other and um, cursing each other out whenever they're playing games like um, like I hear my wife do whenever Woody takes a space for her on, on the iPad version of, um, of uh, Lords, Lords of Waterdeep. Water I, I hear her say, say bad words associated with Woody's name like, oh, did he take your space? I'll have to thank him <laughs> later. Um, but then you get into th things like cooperative board games where... You can watch the dynamics of people working out. You can tell who the alphas are because they're the ones who are trying to tell everyone else how to, how to run the game. And I've also seen people grow beyond that where they realize, I'm telling this person what to do. I probably need to stand back and just let them think through their own turn and think through their own success or failure and not take it personally if it causes the entire group to necessarily fail because they didn't do what I thought was best. And then evolving that into role-playing games, which are a slightly more advanced version of a cooperative game, because the entire team's working together to try to solve a problem. And you'll see the alphas come up and try to tell the other players in the role-playing game what they need to do and how they need to interact with people. And they'll try to be the one person who's talking for the entire group to the lord or to the dragon or to the mm -hmm. vampire they're talking to or whatever, you know, whatever group they're talking whatever character, non-player character they're talking to that the Game Master's controlling. And we, we've, we've played role-playing games where there are three different people who are playing the game who are just playing it mechanically, rolling the dice when they need to and interacting when they need to, and then one person who's the social monster of the group who's running the entire storyline for everyone, and it's an unsatisfying experience for three people, and a very satisfying experience for one. <laughs> right. Um, up to the group that we have now, Woody and I are playing in a game right now, where everyone pretty much has is on kind of equal footing. They're all socially aware enough that they know that they need to sometimes step back and let other people step up and shine and do things and say things. Um, and I've seen people grow within that, and I've seen people stagnate, where they never learn to shut up and let other people shine a little bit. <laughs> So it, it's it, it's interesting watching people grow and learn how to interact socially within within the aspects, of the, especially um, cooperative games like that. And, and that's an awesome piece about uh, cooperative games or even games just in general is that there is this growth aspect. So you can keep coming to this same problem, and you can come to this problem from different points of view, change up the way that you're going to do something, and it doesn't it doesn't have real world consequences. You know, if we have a problem, you know, Timmy's stuck in a well. You know, we only have certain ways we can solve Timmy stuck in a well. But uh, in the game itself, and, and probably very very similar in video games, you know, you can go to it and you can try this. This is going to be the strategy I'm going to try this time. Oh, it didn't work, so this time I'm going to go back and I'm going to try this strategy now. And so you are basically, it is forcing growth. You know, if you're going to do anything besides just stagnate within the game and become the same player every time, you can, you know, spend one game taking a real adversarial point of view and play with what it's like to be an adversary and play with the dynamics of, okay, so what's it like to be the bad guy to these guys and what does it feel like to make these moves and make these mm -hmm. decisions that push everybody else into an, kind of an undertow versus, you know, coming back later and saying, okay, that didn't feel so good or th to me that didn't feel so good and maybe I want to find a way to win and yet not still crunch, crunch and crumple everyone else underneath my feet. So that, that's a dynamic, and that's a dynamic I myself have faced because I I played a lot of competitive games, and I don't always feel good when I crush somebody to to pieces, and I also don't always feel good when I am being crushed to pieces. So there there are these pieces about gaming that that if you are aware enough, and I think this is where we have to draw some lines because I think a lot of people, 
come to games with kind of a mindless sort of, I am doing this in order to experience some fun. I'm, I'm here to hang out and play games, you know. People have that kind of attitude. And there's nothing wrong with seeing games as for the purpose of, you know, leisurely fun. But if you can take a step back and go for the deeper meaning behind everything, then you can kind of see what kind of dynamics are playing out. And as a result, what kinds of things you can do within that, that limited framework, like you were talking about, Brian, mm -hmm. that limited framework that, you know, here you are with these people and now you can make some different decisions and try something all anew now. So, and, and this is another thing I want to do with this podcast is that I, you know, Hostway, a little while ago, you said that maybe the designer didn't have that in mind. And I totally get that, but I also want to, I want to pick the brains of the designers and ask them sort of what were the psychological dynamics, what were the educational dynamics, the sociological dynamics that you were trying to put in the game, what were you wrestling with, and what was challenging to put in there. And I think it will give us, you know, in terms of seeing our podcast as something different than a lot of other people's, I think it will give us a different perspective on game designers and game creation and what that can be as sort of a professional device for our socialization as gaming people. So I'm really, really excited, and I, I hope that carries through. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure that everybody gets their their position filled, you know. And I'm, I'm talking to Sway and Brian here and saying that I want this to be rewarding for us all as we look at these things, and I want it to be a very growing, uh, a growth-oriented process for us. Yeah, I, I think that the three of us are probably... Tell me, let me know if you if, if you disagree, but I think we're we're exceptions to most people who who approach games. You know, most people approach games for fun, like you said. You know, they want to have a good time. They want to either unwind. Not everybody is analyzing their experience afterwards or looking for something deeper necessarily. And and doing this for a few years with with other mediums, I I think it's it's amazing the things that you can discover about the product about the creative process about just the experience and about yourself when you kind of are willing to go deeper and really look at this thing that you're doing and maybe some of those feelings that you've had and actually, you know, start putting names to those things and, and going a little deeper. So much great stuff can come from it. So if anybody has any interest in just going a little deeper into something that they love or even just have a cursory interest in, um, I hope, yeah, it's my hope too that that this show will actually, you know, bring up a lot of stuff for a lot of people and be educational and interesting and hopefully fun. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> well, it's, something you said was of interest to me there. You were saying that a lot of people don't play games for the same reasons we do. They play them for fun. And that's true. But a lot of people don't, I, I guess an addendum to that is they don't consciously play them for the same reasons we often do. Most of the people in our gaming group, whether they know it or not, have an ulterior motive for playing the games. We have um, one friend who plays some of the games. Um, I won't name any of them, but um, one of them is, at least a couple of them I know are autistic, but there's one specific one who, who I know who plays specifically so he can get out and be social. And he's we, it's, it's been fascinating watching him learn other people's social cues, how to read them and how to understand um, what they're thinking and how something he may have said or something they may have said would have impacted him in some way. And he's he's grown a lot over the last two years I've watched him play games. Um, whenever he first came in, he would just kind of walk around the room and stand there and get more and more frustrated that no one's inviting him to a game. But pretty much we, we, we had a... A lot of us have this um, method of getting into games where we just, we all end a game, we look around and say, you get, you're playing a game, you're playing a game, okay, well, what do you want to play? And we figure out something, we all sit down and play. And he just stands at the periphery, he just used to stand at the periphery and wonder why he didn't get picked for a team. Well, we didn't know he was waiting for a game because he never said anything. And eventually he learned, oh, I have to actually interact with them and kind of let them know that I'm looking for a game, looking for a group, looking for a group over here. Mm -hmm. And now it's gotten to the point where he we we almost never see him at a game at a game group where he's not sitting down playing a game with someone 
He's gotten to know a few people. He's learned their social cues. If, if this person's looking to play a game, this is what they're going to do. And I should probably walk up and talk to them. Well, this person over here, if they're not playing a game, they might, they'll probably just outright invite me because, you know, we're all geeky and nerdy in our own little ways. And some of us don't always pick up on his cues that he's looking mm-hmm. to play a game. And that's just one example of, of, um, he was coming to the game group to have fun playing games, but he was also, he realized later he was utilizing the game, the various game groups to learn how to interact with people. And he's come a great way since he, since he first started. I use them because I feel awkward getting together with friends with no agenda. It's very difficult for me to go over to a friend's house and they say, okay, what are we going to do? And um, I, I don't know what do humans do when they're together. Um, <laughs> if we sit down and we watch a TV show or a movie, I become obsessed with a TV show or a movie and I have to be completely quiet and stare at the screen and absorb that experience. My wife can watch a movie and talk in the middle of it, which drives me completely bonkers. I don't understand the whole concept of a social interaction around movies because the movie is there to be watched and experienced and you're supposed to absorb yourself in it. I'm an English teacher. I absorb myself in stories. It's what I do. Um, A board game, on the other hand, is something that I can just kind of have peripherally around me to act as the go-between between me and the other people. If yeah. we're out to dinner or something, I can talk with people and converse with them. But there's an I, activity on there's the an table. activity. Eating is an activity. Yes. Playing the game is an activity. It's an activity that I can use to say, well, I am justifying my existence hanging out with my friends because we are playing games together. And I, I understand that some people do not need that that excuse to hang out together. <laughs> let, let, let's be fair though. I mean. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, and, and it sounds like you're going to go to a spot where it's like, it, it, it almost sounds like it's, it's a crazy idea that we have to have something that intermediates between a social situation. But I don't know. I mean, okay, so let's go outside the geek group because we yeah. know what the geek and the nerd group is like. And let's look at social gatherings as a whole. Generally, I think people get together over an activity. It's not so strange. I mean, even if it's we're going to get together and meditate, there, there is a, a a medium through which you're going to do this. Now, there, there may be that sort of like group of friends who just to get get together to hang and talk. But then it's just to hang and talk. There is, I don't know that there's a vacuum in mind when people get together that that we're just going to get together and uh, we're not going to. In fact, it'd almost be a nice social experiment. We're going to get together and we're not going to do anything and see what what comes up of that. Because, and, but the thing is, we'd all have to go into it with a mindset of. I'm going to do nothing. You know, it's it's like the Seinfeld show for real. Yeah. We're going to do nothing. <laughs> you brought up something that, that really kind of hung me here, and I, I thought that it was important to talk about. So there's the atmosphere of the game. We're in the game. There, That's our phenomenological experience there. But there's also this atmosphere that grows up around games. You know, Brian and I, and I'm sure Josue has experienced it too, have been involved and engaged with a lot of social groups that are there just for the purpose of gaming. But then you have a large gathering of people, and you have a whole set of dynamics that hasn't been explored, I think, a lot. Um, there are all kinds of, uh, what would you call it, um, etiquettes that are not explored in gaming. You know, you were talking about uh, your friend who uh, sometimes has stood on the periphery, and so that gets into the etiquette of gaming because... It, is it our role as gamers to be inviting? Is it our roles as gamers to um, make our own decisions and get into the games? It is to an extent, but there is also a sense of, well, there. Th- this is a huge world, and especially when you start to interact with large groups of people. If you go to a gaming convention or something, um, Gen Con being the epitome of that, although that's not really focused on the gaming as much as it is on finding out about the game. We'll say Origins, then. Um, if you go to these events then you are placed in a social situation where you are meeting new people, you are forced to interact with people that you've never interacted before, so the experiment is put the game on the table, let's see how we interact together. But there are all kinds of etiquettes that go with that, you know, etiquettes about cheating, etiquettes about um, how do I speak to somebody that I don't know, etiquettes about, you know, do I try to play a game that's bigger than my own mind, and I don't mean that as a derogatory, but I mean that in the sense of do I take a wild jump into something that could be really dangerous for my relationship with these people because mm-hmm. I'm just not I'm not versed enough in this universe yet to jump into something, you know. 
of this depth. You might say, if I thought about that that way, I wouldn't have played the game that I played that turned me into this. But at the same time, it, there, there are levels and, and barriers and, and boundaries that we have to pay attention to when we are getting together in these larger groups versus just like a small group of people that are getting together and playing games. So, I mean, here with Rolling for Change, we are going to sit down and we are going to experience games and talk about our experience of the games as a whole. But I also want to hit that dynamic of getting out into the public scene and seeing what the difference is in these large social gatherings versus these individual gatherings. And and I'm maybe, I don't know, we haven't um, ironed out any of the details or, or even mentioned the fact that I'm, I'm not in the same physical location where you guys are. So... I think. What? I, uh, <laughs> and, what is uh, my hand on? That's me. Oh crap! <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm projecting a hologram there where you guys are, but I'm actually somewhere else. And you know, I may have you know when we agree on a game or something that we want to play, uh, I may have a very different experience. I might go to a gaming shop where you might play at a convention. Um, you might play at your home, and I'll play at a different home with a completely different group of people, and the dynamics will be very different. And I think. I think it'll be great to be able to compare that. And because of what you just said, you know, there's so many different layers to it, and the overall experience can affect what happens. And right, it'll be and cool if, to... We're going to, if we're going to try to see, like if we're looking at a particular dynamic, um, like we won't talk about it for a lot, a lot but the, the first episode that we want to do is this episode about worker placement as a mechanic. So if you're playing a worker placement, a set of worker placement games with a different group of people, and we are playing it also over here with a different group of people, we are getting different experiences, but we are getting to, if we're trying to look for what is the singular experience of being involved in a worker placement game, then the more windows onto that activity, the better that we understand what it means to be a worker placement. It's not a very scientific derivation yet, but it, it's at least we are, we have some idea of what this thing is, and we're going to put it under the microscope from several different points of view and different microscopes. So, absolutely, I, I love that. I, actually, there, there's all, I, I hate that you're not here. That's certainly a thing. But at the same time, I also like that you're not here because it means that you are going to have a different experience within us sometimes with the different dynamics that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, th I think it'll be interesting. And for me, a big part of it will be um, actually like meeting new people. You know, because uh, I'm going to be going to different places. I, I moved recently, and I don't have a, a my go-to group for gaming right now. So I'm going to actually have to, I want to create that. And that's going to be really interesting for me, too. Just looking forward to it. Just because I'm not certain, can you remind me where you live now? I don't want to get into it. It might, okay. this might change. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I do want to point out to you and anybody else who is listening to this that doesn't know where those gaming groups are, that uh, meetup.com, at least for Atlanta, meetup.com has been an incredible resource for finding groups of people, and I would imagine that's true elsewhere. Absolutely. Everywhere I've, I've lived, um, I usually, one of the first things I do is I join a few meetup groups, and there's always at least one um, geeker gaming group in, in especially the big cities. Um, and there's, yeah, there's always a couple groups, and also the, the, Gaming and comic book stores usually have gaming nights. And even if it's just something like, um, you know, even if it's just Magic the Gathering nights, for example, they usually have tables there. And my experience has been that they're, they are pretty open to, you know, playing other games there as well. Because not everybody's playing at the same time. And it's, it's usually a really good environment where everybody's just there to, to play games. So people tend to be pretty open to it. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you just like go to a bar and open up a game and see what happens. Well, yeah, and especially now with uh, with all of these game cafes opening up, which I, I think is just fantastic. There's you know Geek Bar in Chicago. We have a place here in Atlanta called Battle and Brew, which is generally focused on on video games, but I understand they're starting to take over, take on some board gaming. Uh, and Marietta, they have Gigabytes. Yes. So they're they're starting to be all over the place, and that that's pretty awesome in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. And tabletop game, uh, tabletop gaming day is soon, and I think that'll be it'll April be interesting because every year it seems to grow, 
and and you see you know people opening up their houses you know like sometimes the meetup group isn't meeting necessarily at some you know big venue sometimes just people opening up their houses to to people to come over and and play games that's fantastic yeah Woody and I have people over to our respective houses from time to time yeah exactly so just in wrapping this up, because we've, we've had a really good discussion here, and I, I don't want to belabor it, um, but do you guys feel like we've hit all of the points that you guys want to focus in on with the, the process of the podcast? Do we feel like we've missed anything that's important to look at? And, of course, all the way along the line, we're all going to contribute to this process. I want it to be collaborative. Um, but if you feel like there, there's some area that we haven't touched on that's really important to check in on, I think that's a good idea to just... Do a quick check-in. Uh, uh, the one thing that I'm that we're kind of hoping that we can do is, at the very least, um, play the game very recently. You know, not feeding off of past experiences. You know, we want to play the game, and then as soon as possible, um, record the podcast and talk about that experience as it is immediate and still fresh. And I think that that is that is going to make a huge difference. You know, um, it's like a I know we, we've talked about the show Tabletop uh, with Will Wheaton, and seeing them play the game and having them reflect right afterwards and having that interjected, you know, it's very different than if you play and then a few days later you're just talking about it or, or if it's something that you played a few months ago and you're just remembering. The discussion will be very interesting because that's what we want to do. Yeah, you're talking about the degradation of memory, and I, I really think that the phenomenological side, this, this experiential, you know, let's go play the game and then let's have a discussion about it. Is, is very important to what I thought what the process was, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, part of that was just, here's an excuse to go play some games. Yeah. <laughs> and you're talking about degradation of memory. Remember, I have four kids. I'm pretty sure that every child you have, they, they suck a little bit of your brain power with them, so I'm <laughs> I'm practically not even, I don't even know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you're, you're here because you're on a podcast, and uh, never mind. <laughs> Is that what this microphone's for? You're recording me? Wow. <laughs> Newfangled right, so, technology. Exactly. So, Brian, was there anything that, I mean, so you're coming kind of from a different point of view. Not that yeah. it's, I think psychology and, and education fit together really well, but you're coming from that different point of view. Is there anything you feel like that it's important to address that we haven't? Well, um, it's not just about using the board game. I don't necessarily use board games in classrooms, but I use the board game concepts in classrooms. So in some cases you might use, you know, a gameological, I guess is a good word for a gameological concept to entice students to learn something, like giving them benefits, not just in terms of getting a bonus on something, but they, they get something that kind of like in a video game is not necessarily a tangible benefit, but an intangible benefit that's something different from what they usually get, sort of like a, a virtual attaboy that they can then build on. Like I've, I saw one classroom, and I've, I've been thinking about using this in the future, um, where they had a Catan board set up. Not a real Catan board, but they designed kind of a pseudo Catan board on one of their on one of their cork boards. And utilizing whenever a student got something right, they would they would give them a wheat or okay. a brick. And the kids could trade back and forth among themselves. And at the end of the week, they could come in and put in their put in their wheat and stone and convert one of their settlements into a city. And at the end of the semester, whoever had the best settlement got a bonus of some sort, a benny of some sort, just a silly benny, not even a bonus on a test or anything, just right. something cool. So they were all kind of semi-cooperatively competing to see who could get the best stuff. And there'd be these after-class negotiations of who was going to get a brick. I need brick. Well, he's been giving out a lot of wheat lately. There have not been that many bricks. I wonder why. And of course, the teacher came up with some BS reason for today we're giving out bricks. You know, so if you need brick, you might want to answer the questions. So, and it, they they had this board where each you know each student had their own little miniature, you know, well, gigantic. Catan style settlement where they, they didn't really follow the rules. You didn't have to have X right. number of spaces right. between things, but it was just who had the most impressive settlement built up. So it's, it's a gamification <laughs> kind of thing, but it's, it's specifically with, uh, Catan in this case. Right. It was just, it was just, they didn't even say it was Catan. They just had 
a city, they just had a landmass built up and said, whoever built the most impressive city at the end of the semester gets, you know, gets first dibs on the Tootsie Pops or something, you know, whatever. I don't remember what they were giving out as a benefit. They didn't really specifically say it. They said it was, it was something to get them involved in their own education. That's not an educational thing. It's just, it, it's, it's a, it's a here, here, you, you get an extra character in this game, you know, like uh, the Marvel puzzle quest I've been playing. Keep playing, keep playing. You can get some cards. You draw a card. Oh, look, you got a new a new level for Spider-Man. Ooh, keep playing the game. Keep giving us money. And they said, well, why couldn't I use this in my classroom to try to get buy-in from the students? That kind of thing is also not just in the specific games and how they can be used to teach, but the concepts within the games can be stripped out of it and use a fraction of it to teach something very specific. This is something kind of similar to what Josue was talking about, which is, you know, Josue and I are both therapists, and, and we work in, with individual clients. And, you know, one of the things we face is what are we going to do with a game that, you know, if, if you're going to use a game for therapy, and these games are sometimes two-hour games, how are we going to limit the game and give structure to the game so that it, it fits in the therapeutic hour? Mm -hmm. And that... That kind of speaks to that because you're modifying the game, and I do want to talk about that as we go through, as well as the the aspects of how games can be used in in different settings by by making modifications. And then another thing that I want to react to is just that as you were talking about that, I realized that one of the concepts that I missed that I think is important to talk about is abstraction, the way that gaming provides an abstraction from reality. So it especially is important in therapy because if you're going into therapy and, and you're working with someone in, say, a trauma space, or they're, 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 kind of, they're dealing with a lot of anger, whatever it is, you're not going to want to go in there and talk directly about their experience of the anger that they're having. You know, you know, so you're angry. That's not going to get you very far because no. maybe right now it's too escalated to even talk about the anger that, that you're having. So let's put something on the table that is completely foreign to your experience. It has some of the same dynamics, and we can slowly eke out those dynamics in relation to real life by saying, "Wow, so you just you just cut me off there for no reason whatsoever, and what was that about? You know, whether I, I don't know mm -hmm. what game I'm thinking of when I say that, but you, you, what I'm saying basically is that you you do something more conflictual than you normally would, and then you can start asking questions. You know, what what was that about, and and how does that play back into reality?" And this, this is kind of a reflective aspect of the game, but it's reflective in the sense of assessment in that you are looking at the, the person that you're playing with and you're getting information from them about themselves, how they react to conflict, how they react to co cooperation, and you're seeing it from a different picture. So you don't have to talk about how badly you hate mom or dad right now or whatever it might be, or your husband or your wife. Instead, it can be, you know, you reacted really strangely in this situation that normally people wouldn't react this way in a game. And so now we have a basis of talking about something's going on with you and we don't even have to talk about your parents or your family. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a couple who we play games with and, um, we all, we have, the, the girlfriend of our friend hates cooperative games because her boyfriend is an alpha and he tries to direct, he tries to give her advice, advice, which must be followed. Otherwise you're doing it wrong. And she, we, we've watched their group dynamic, and it's how it's how their their real lives work out too. He tries to tell her what to do in real life, and she does the polar opposite. Even if she knows what he's saying is right, the fact that he's trying to direct her offends her enough that she does the exact opposite. Even if what she's going to do in 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 reaction is self destructive, mm -hmm. because she doesn't like being told what to do. Right. And you know, in a game, you know. People outside of the game may think that's kind of humorous to watch her do something completely destructive to the game just to get him to realize that he can't tell her what to do. But then now she's going to go out and buy something she doesn't need because he's told her she doesn't need it. Please don't get that. It's too much money. And she goes out and gets it because who do you think you are telling me what to do? We're like, okay, this isn't in a game anymore. You're taking this into your – this is something that's kind of a, an overall theme for your 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 – um, relationship, and you should probably examine that a little bit. <laughs> that the trick then is, you've got to get them to recognize that here is this reflection, this ink blot in front of you, and you're both projecting it to the rest of us exactly what's going on in your life right here on this game board. 
But that's a hard conversation to have. It really is. We've tried to have that conversation a couple of times, and she recognizes it, but he's he can't let go of it. He can't not do it. He can't not try to take control. So it, it's just a vicious cycle that continues on. Yeah. And, that ex- and, <laughs> and that experience is actually, you know, that's a safe place maybe to do that. So she's probably doing something. I mean, again, it's possible. Uh, you know, a lot of people will, will project that in a gaming experience because you feel safer, because there are other people there. And you're right, that can be very telling, but it may not necessarily be what's going on outside. It might be what you what she wants to go on outside, right? Or maybe she's, she's not able to do that outside and she's able to do that there. And yeah, it doesn't take a therapist or a psychologist to, to see what's going on there. But that safe environment, um, a lot of things can come up. Exactly. But you have to be ready for it. I mean, it's like he was saying, you know, if, if the, if the individual who's not ready for it is being, having it thrust in their face, it's really not going to make the difference. So there almost has to be a way that you comport yourself to the game to understand that here is a reflective experience of my life. This is going to give me back certain dynamics that I have already experienced, and it's in this microcosm uh, of the game. But you have—it just—you have to prepare yourself. You have to almost like prep. You know, I don't know how to how to say it. You 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 go in with the notion that okay, I'm going to learn something about myself in this game, as opposed to just being involved in a social pursuit. I am going to look at my own reactions, my own emotions, my own internal dialogue, and determine whether or not that is going to be important to me as a means of understanding myself. I guess we're, we're going to ra- go ahead and wrap up. I, I, I'm really pleased with our conversation today, and, and once again, I'm really excited. So uh, this was our, our 1.0 or 0.5 or 0.0, episode 0, whatever you want to call it. Episode 0. Episode 0. Uh, and it's, it's meant to give the listener an insight into the craziness and the... Uh, the depth of what we're discussing, and I hope that it came over uh, as a means of, of uh, booting up the system kind of thing, but uh, time will tell. But I, I do want to thank everyone for participating, and thank everyone for having a listen, and uh, we look forward to your questions. And uh, Thank you for having us in your um, iPhone or iPad or whatever you're listening to us on. You have been listening to Rolling for Change. You can reach us on Twitter. We are at Roll for Change. Our email is gamers at rollingforchange.com. Don't forget to check out Hostway's Geek Therapy podcast, which you can find at geektherapy.com. Our music was provided by Rocket Scientists. You can check them out at thetank.com forward slash rocket scientists. We'd love to hear your feedback about our show, your ideas for future episodes, or maybe even if you want to come on the show and chat with us, we'd love to hear that too. In our next episode, we'll be talking about the psychology behind the worker placement mechanic and what this mechanic can teach us about ourselves and the people we play games with. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, keep rolling for change. Change.